Are you ready to get the body and health you've always wanted? It's time to do it. This is Bodies by Brent. Brent has been a personal trainer for 16 years, and now he's all yours. Interviewing the pros in health, wellness, and the fitness field. Get educated and motivated. Let's get to work. From Austin, Texas, this is Bodies by Brent. And this is your host, Brent Ruska. Welcome to Bodies by Brent. I am your host, Brent Ruskin. And in today's episode, we have Ali Waddell. Ali is the co-founder of Aluma, a ketamine infusion clinic founded in January 2019 here in Austin, Texas. We cover the mental and emotional benefits of ketamine, how to really decide whether ketamine is for you, harnessing the true resilience of the human mind, the close link between childhood trauma and PTSD, and what to expect in your ketamine sessions. Trauma affects us all, great and small. Some people have lost friends in war. Others, maybe simply just moving from one city to another while you were in high school or being called names when you were a little kid. Losing a family member, experiencing an illness, whatever it may be, these traumas can trap our ability to let all of our energy flow through us. And a lot of times they can happen unconsciously and they reside deep in the subconscious. And it is these medicines that allow us to access in a very safe way and in a safe environment to bring up these trapped memories, to experience them and let them go. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you have a desire to really flourish in your life, to feel fit, to feel healthy, to feel amazing in your clothes to have abundance of loving relationships, you know, to thrive in every way possible. And the fitness journey, the health journey, the living your best life journey is an up and down and up and down again, full of life lessons. And so it is my job to provide you with as many tools and as much education as I can to help you live your best life, achieve whatever your goals may be. And so I hope you take a lot out of this. And if you think someone would benefit from listening to this, please do pass it on. And I want to give a shout out to a product that I really love. I want to keep introducing you guys to products that are healthy, taste great, can integrate into your lifestyle that just makes daily living more awesome. So I discovered this product called Mushroom Mocha Milk. And I'm going to butcher this name. Anima Mundi, I think is the brand, and it is something you can add to your coffee, you can add it to your cacao drinks, it's, 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 it tastes so good, right? And if you're trying to get off caffeine, which I highly recommend taking a 30-day break from caffeine if you can, you know, switching to cacao with this mocha milk is a, a good strategy. Cacao has a little bit of caffeine. Very little, very, very little. So, you know, the effects of caffeine on your nervous system compounded over time can really take, you know, a hit on your sleep and your sleep is the most important thing in your life for your fitness, for your health, for your relationships. It affects everything. And we already live in an environment that is extremely stressful. 
So the more you can get your body into a relaxed, calm state, the more you can act and think from a place of calm and peace. And that is really where your power is. So I want you to check this out. Uh, I'll leave the link in the descriptions. You can guys check it out. See if you like it. Let me know what you think. All right. Let's get to the episode. Allie? Yes. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Finally got you in here. Ta-da. We did it. (laughs) Yes. Nailed it. it. We we stuck the landing. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, I remember checking out your place. Aluma. Aluma. Yes. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what is Aluma. Aluma is a ketamine infusion clinic here in Austin, Texas. We are about to celebrate our third anniversary in just a few weeks. Ketamine is a basically legal psychedelic. It's actually an anesthetic, uh, but it's used to heal trauma. Majorly, we work on depression, anxiety, PTSD are kind of our large buckets, but it's also really good for addiction, especially alcoholism and opioids as well as anything with kind of ruminating thought loops like OCD, eating disorders. But then it's just a really great personal development tool. So good for stress management and just really breaking through and dealing with uh, core issues, patterns, so that you can live a better life. Wow. As we say, shine your light. Shine your light. Yeah. How Find you, your light. How did, you, how did you... Get into or decide to open a ketamine clinic. It's a very windy road. That Let's led, go. Led me here. Well, like you, I've been in the. Well, I was in the fitness industry for about twenty years. Are you Austin native or? I am an Austin native. Unicorn over here. Yeah, I got one in front of me. I love Ta-da. it. Ta da! I went to Westwood High School in Anderson Mill, which is on six twenty one eighty three. What's up? I was the mascot. <laughs> What's the mascot? Go Warriors. I dress like Pocahontas, completely inappropriate now, (laughs) but back in the 90s, you could braid your hair and put a headdress on. Totally cool. Nobody got mad at you. It was super fun, actually. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. As a female, who wouldn't want to be Pocahontas? Yeah, it was awesome. It was amazing. So, yeah, I grew up here in Austin, but I got into wellness in my early 20s after college, and, you know, I think I made... At least this is kind of the gist of being in the wellness industry for so long. It feels like people that are in it for a long time, a lot of people take this same trajectory, which is in your 20s, you're just like, you just need to work out, man. Yeah, (laughs) it's all physical. You just work out, your life will be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You just need to look awesome, you'll be awesome, that's great. And then a few years in, maybe late 20s, early 30s, like, no, it's nutrition. It's actually just nutrition. So if you if you eat really well and you work out, then your life will be awesome. And then most people, I think, in their late 30s or 40s either have a crisis or just come to the realization that really has to do with your mindset. And it really is mostly about your mindset and your patterns and understanding your behavior. Because until you get that under check, (laughs) you can work out as much as you want. (laughs) You can eat really healthy and it just either won't be sustainable. You'll keep self-sabotaging or you just really won't feel the fulfillment. Even if you look great, you'll still be struggling internally. And that's kind of my personal journey is, I kind of had an on-my-knees moment in my mid-late 30s, 36. What happened? Well, 
a lot of things happen. So I had some trauma when I was growing up. My dad actually was an addict, so he was a meth meth addict, but uh, you know, very highly functional in construction. He's an artist. He's a furniture builder, but you know, just kind of workaholic and used kind of speed as the thing that kind of drove him. And then at the same time, I have a super highly analytical mother who's a scientist, mm-hmm. and so I was raised by an artist and a scientist. <laughs> Okay. Both overworkers. And so I had a lot of interesting programming from those two people. Um, And then my mom left when I was 13. And so I had some major abandonment issues. Um, She she moved across the country. I stayed with my dad. And in my family dynamic, there was a lot of tension and there was a lot of fighting. And typically when that dynamic happens, you have one kid that typically comes out as the happy kid. Mm. And that is because that dynamic needs a brightness and a lightness in order to kind of sustain itself. And that's who I turned into. I turned into the kid that everybody really liked. I was super happy. I was super positive, all this stuff. But inside what it actually taught me was that negative feelings were not okay. It was not okay to be sad. It wasn't. And so I locked all that inside. I really never really allowed myself to feel things. I just kind of moved past and like on to the next and on to the next and then I started developing coping mechanisms to basically numb myself. Hmm. My first best, still one of my side hustle friends is is food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always been one of my really close coping mechanisms that I've used in an unhealthy way a lot of my life. How would you use it? Uh, binging mostly and sugar addiction. So Sugar addiction? Oh, yeah. My dad... We lived in a very hyper-controlled house, and my mom, no refined anything, like, always had white bread, always had, like, everything, like, I mean, never had white bread, always had wheat bread, like, never soda, never canned, like, nothing bad in our house ever, but my dad was a crazy person, so then we would leave, and he's like, we're going to (laughs) (laughs) 7-Eleven. Like, yes! I'm like, I'm going to (laughs) Slurpee. Skittles, like, and it would just be this like rush of sugar. And my dad has, I have that pattern from him as well. And I also have the, in general, I have that addictive gene, you know, that has gotten flipped on in me. I get highly addicted to kind of anything. Yeah. Um, and so sugar was one of the first things. But then quickly, when you know, I started drinking when I was in middle school. That sounds really crazy, but back in the '90s in Texas. You drank in middle school. It was not, that was not weird. Oh, God. I mean, we started drinking when we were in seventh grade. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> like just stealing booze from people's parents. and Super common. It was super normal and started boozing hardcore when I was in ninth grade. I mean, getting shit-faced every weekend. And I drank heavily until my mid-30s, like really consistently. And never like, nobody would ever look at me and say I have a problem. I wasn't. Not I was still doing really well at school. I was never missing. I was working like, but I was definitely using it to cope, you know. And so it was just different things. Then it was sex. Then it was a relationship. Like it was just this stacking effect of what else can I find so I really don't have to deal with what I'm really feeling. And then about thirty, I got divorced because I had come to a point. I was I was coping with so many things. I had in my early twenties, I had actually developed bulimia. Um, I was in a really abusive relationship out, out of college and just broke me down. And I, I developed adult onset bulimia, which is actually relatively rare. 
um, because I just, again, could not cope with what was going on. So I was using food and then I was just full of shame. So then I would purge and it was just this terrible cycle. But I ended up meeting a really great guy and got married. But this whole the whole time we were together, he never knew. I mean, I was bulimic for 15 years and not one person ever found out. Wow. Which is a really something I still cope with is my reality that I am a really amazing liar. I can hide anything from anybody. And that's a really hard thing to kind of know about yourself. And to be honest with those that love you, to say that you know that. Because like my current partner, that's hard for him to know. Because it always is in the background that he's scared that I'm hiding things. Even though he trusts me fully, it's this one. It's the thing that he knows that I have that ability. You know, things had started to stack and I was just, I was so full of shame and hiding so many things that my marriage just fell apart, you know. And I blamed him because he wasn't talking and he wasn't showing up and he wasn't. And the reality was I was... I was full of shit. I wasn't, I was being, I wasn't showing up. I wasn't telling him anything. He shut down because I was shut down. You know, it was just, and we were young and there's a lot of reasons. And I made it up in my mind that the reason I was struggling was everything external. Like it was my job as a trainer. It was my husband. It was living in Austin. It was all these things. And if I could just change all that, (laughs) And actually not deal with (laughs) any of my shit. But if I could change it all, I'm sure everything would get better. And so that was kind of my grand plan. So I got divorced and I went to culinary school in California. So I got rid of my training business, which I, you know, built up to be very successful. I packed my car and moved to California by myself and uh, went to culinary school for two years. And that was, I'll just warn everybody, going to culinary school as a bulimic. (laughs) probably you know if you're gonna make a life choice that's not it's not this it's just it's it's like a really i mean it's like an alcoholic working in a bar i mean it's just like you want to just put like your drug out every day three times a day just anything in excess you could have um and so it was a really hard time for me that was like a really dark about five years in california is me kind of you know, thinking I could get better. I think a lot of people that have addiction or even just kind of a pattern that they're ashamed of, what I've noticed is you think there's a way that you can get better secretly and never tell anybody. Like you think if you just read that next book or you do that next course or you do that, if you just start doing your journaling or if you just do use the tools There's some way that you'll get over it and then never have to tell anybody that you went through anything and you'll just be better and then it'll be fine and it'll just be a thing that you knew and nobody, nobody ever found out about. And I kept hoping that was the case. So I kept on this search and I ended up meeting a guy and yet another tip for people, if you're in a really bad space, don't meet anybody. (laughs) Why why is that? Don't get in a relationship because you just don't make good decisions when you're in a terrible headspace. And I think you're just, you know, I wanted so bad for something to fix it, you know, and I found a guy who wanted to fix it, but really he actually wanted to keep me kind of broken because 
it's a it's a really normal and i don't think it was a con it was not a conscious effort on yeah. either site he also is a wonderful guy i think we find a match for where we are we meet we meet people where we are and i was in a terrible place and i met somebody who propped me up enough to feel okay and we did all the things. We got engaged. We moved to the town that I wanted to live in, which was Healdsburg, California, which is like this wine country village thing that everyone wants to live in. We did all the things and I was – and then I hit my knees because I had changed it all. I had got – I had – I was working for the Food Network. I was doing everything. I was living in the wine country. I was a chef. I was had – I was engaged. I lived in this cute house. And guess what? I was – miserable and that i think for a lot of people is what smacks you upside the face because i because so many people are searching externally for the thing that's going to make them happy if i if then if then if i can just get there then this will happen and if i just then i can be happy and then it feels like such a crazy letdown when you get there and then you still feel empty mm. and i had a I had a moment in the gym actually literally on my knees crying by myself because I went to a gym that literally nobody went to. I was alone every morning. <laughs> I was the only person. And I had a moment and I said, I'm either going to kill myself or ch something is changing because I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. You know, I'm done lying. I'm done hiding everything. I can't, I can't maintain it anymore. And I think the universe drops things in your life in very interesting times. Me and my mom have had a distant but okay relationship, and she sent me a Brene Brown book, and that was before Brene Brown was even really popular. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Gift of, Gifts of Imperfection. And the, and the key thing to that is shame hides in the dark, and the only way to release it is to pull it into the light, and that is through your story, is that you have to fully own everything about yourself in order to heal it and there is no way to heal secretly and that all the things that you've gone through no matter how painful are actually fuel to turn you into the person that you are supposed to be if you decide to own them or they will drag you down to the bottom of the ocean if you decide to not and so that was it. That was kind of the turning point. And I came home and I actually told my fiance at the time that I was bulimic. It was the first time I'd ever said it out loud. And he actually kind of laughed and said, is that really the big thing you've been hiding? Like he was thinking it was something like, you know, I was a heroin addict or I'm having, <laughs> I have a sex dungeon or, you know, like he's thinking <laughs> yeah. it's something like yeah. in his mind really major. And that's the other hilarious thing shame tells you is that is that your worst case scenario is like everybody's going to think you're, a, you know, full of shit and you're a scam. And how could I be? I'm this person that's supposed to be this picture of health that are helping people lead people into wellness. How is anybody going to trust me again if I've been lying about this? And the exact opposite is true because what people are drawn to is authenticity and realness. And the reality is a lot of women struggle with body image. A lot of people deal with disordered eating. And it actually brought everybody towards me. And I thought it was going to push everybody away. And I think that's very common for people that finally come out about whatever they're struggling with is the reality is 
holding things back creates distance. Yeah. Separation. Separation. It just does. Losing my headphones. Where did were you introduced to ketamine? Yeah, crazy. Still on this crazy story. <laughs> um, sorry, it's so long winded. No, it's a great story. So, so with that kind of healing, I stayed in California for about another year. But the reality is, I hated California. Always hated California. Just was not my jam. I don't hate it like as a place. I just was not my place. And so I came back for my birthday one one about six years ago and the universe kind of laid out all the reason like i had all these reasons or why i couldn't come back and the universe is like what about this and this and this and this and this and this and kind of solved everything in one trip and i went back and in seven days quit my job broke up with my fiance got in a u-haul and drove back to texas wow and again it's when you get in alignment the universe shows you the way Mm-hmm. And that was another thing that was happening in California. I had made up the story that I had to work really hard at everything and that I always gave up on things. So I stayed in things much longer at that time period because I was, I had a story about myself that I gave up on things. Yeah. And I, it took my mom going, maybe everything's not supposed to be so hard. You know, and that's, and that's again, programming that you have to realize about yourself is like, there's something about, the grind and working hard and then there's something about swimming upstream (laughs) yeah it's like it's a lot easier if you just go with the flow down the stream so ended up in in austin just really in a good place and then i met my partner ken at the gym of course (laughs) and a very cute meet cute and um and we just really hit it off we were brought together by uh Talking about psychedelics is one of the first things that we ever talked about the first day we met. Had you done them prior to meeting him? I'd done a lot of this mushrooms. <laughs> yeah? I loved mushrooms. What did you like about mushrooms? I Just fun. I mean, really. Just like completely opened up a new level of fun and interest in things being beautiful and connecting to myself. But I'd only done them in a very recreational way. I'd never done them. I'd never done any drug mindfully. Yeah. When I met him, ever. <laughs> it was more like, let's let's roll. What was his conversation with you? His conversation was interesting because he was in the process of getting divorced. Mm-hmm. He has generalized anxiety disorder, has had it his whole life. What but, is that exactly? So it basically means his resting state of anxiety is really high. Just across the board. Got it. Um, And he can get triggered into higher levels of anxiety by things that most people would not, that would not trigger most people. Yeah. But it kind of goes along with his personality. He's super sensitive guy and he was raised by kind of a hyper controlling hammer, (laughs) hammer dad. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of beat you into be you into the you know and he was always you're too sensitive stop your i don't want to hear about your emotions i don't want you crying that kind of thing making you more anxious to feel what you feel yeah you know and he's just highly sensitive like he picks up on everybody's energy all the time but he harnessed that kind of personality into you know people people deal with trauma in a few ways but two of the major ways are either to hyper focus and turn into type A hyper control, drive, drive, drive in typically anxiety that way. Yeah. Or you take trauma and you numb, numb, numb 
more on the depressive tendency, a lot of times addiction. Yeah. Interestingly, a lot of times people with anxiety and drive judge the people <laughs> with the depression and the addiction because it was like, why didn't you use your trauma in this way? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> this seems more active, you know, but it's hilarious when you look at it because it's actually the same. It's just two sides of a coin. Same of like thing. how your nervous system decides to process things when it doesn't know what to do. And so he had used psychedelics a ton before he went to medical school. And then when he was really struggling in his marriage and he started having panic attacks again, he was like, I remember feeling better when I, when I did psychedelics. So he had started to explore on his own mm -hmm. and see if it helped. And it did. And so we started to delve into psychedelics together in cool. a much more mindful way as a couple. And that happened for, for a few years. And then he's an anesthesiologist. He's a cardiac anesthesiologist at the heart hospital. And he started getting, uh, in his ketamine kind of papers and magazines, he would get these updates about ketamine being used for, mental health and he was like what <laughs> what do you mean yeah. that's weird because ketamine's traditionally used it's like an anesthesia it's anesthesia yeah so it was developed ketamine backstory is very fascinating so it was developed during vietnam okay as a battlefront anesthesia so up until then we were using opioids mostly um morphine on the battlefront so if somebody got some guy would get shot some medic would go out there with a whole thing of morphine and just jab it in their leg and they're like okay Woo. you're good for now until we hello you know carry you out of here well the problem was um opioids uh depress um your breath rate depresses your heart rate and so a lot of guys were actually dying on the battlefield not only just because of their wounds but because the morphine was actually dropping everything at the same time so now they're losing blood and their heart rate and their breath rate yeah. or they're they're not dosing them properly and they're actually overdosing just like <laughs> on heroin, the ground because what are you going to do yeah. i mean like you don't know i mean it's a and it's, you got to think it's an 18 year old kid <laughs> in germany like what is he, he doesn't know what he's doing i never thought about it like that yeah i mean it's it's crazy when you think about that. And so they wanted to come up with an anesthesia that would that would actually elevate your breath rate and your heart rate while giving you pain relief and hopefully putting you to sleep. And so they developed ketamine. So he's starting to read these papers. Yeah, and he's starting in. to read that. And so about 20 years ago, the VA actually realized that if you gave it in lower doses, people were not having PTSD symptoms. And they were like, why is that happening? Whoa. And they were they realized it because different uh, VA hospitals were treating guys with burn wounds, which everybody says is like one of the most painful things because mm. they have to clean them daily, like go and scrub. Whoa. <laughs> and so they have to give them some kind of pain medication so they can even do that. And they were saying the guys that they were giving ketamine were talking to the nurses about what had happened to them. They weren't having... Uh, fear dreams or waking up with night terror they were able to process they weren't you know like they weren't showing standard ptsd symptoms so then they started researching it so it's been researched for about the last 20 years but about five six years ago is when it really started to pick up and ken started reading about it our national organization is called the askp the american society of ketamine providers and the first annual conference was here in austin and so awesome he was like, I'm going to go and see what's happening. And I was like, all right, cool. 
And he went and he came home and he's like, we're opening a ketamine clinic. And I was like, I got no idea what that means. And I'd never done ketamine. And he'd never done ketamine. Like we never, like I'd done a lot of drugs. That was not one that I'd ever tried. Um, And I was like, and I have no idea how we do this. Yeah, But we did it. So he came home in November. We found a building in December and we opened in February. Six years ago. No, it'll be three years. Three. Yeah, three years in February. What was your first ketamine experience like? We did. So both of us, when we opened, we were like, well, we should probably try this to make sure it's cool. (laughs) And it was really interesting because I, at that point, was at what I thought was my best mental health I'd ever been in my life, which it really actually probably was at that point. And I was like, this will be interesting. Like, what's it going to do when somebody is thriving? Or doing really well in my mind. Yeah. Um, and so I did our standard six six infusion series over about six weeks. And it is like nothing you have ever done in your life. Even if you've done every psychedelic, it's not even if you've done snorted ketamine, even if you've done ketamine at a party, doing ketamine IV is like it's a whole nother ball game. Um on a lot of levels. So they call it a dissociative, which some people don't really like that language because you're not really dissociating. It's almost like you're changing the channel to like a different setting in your consciousness. Mm. And it's a subconscious psychedelic. So mushrooms, LSD, MDMA, all of those are conscious state psychedelics. So you can take an heroic dose of mushrooms and this table might look super weird and things might change, but you're still operating in conscious space. Like you're still kind of processing consciously what's happening and you can usually talk and you're kind of dealing with that. Ketamine, um, it's basically like a lucid dream. So your eyes are closed. You typically have an eye mask on. It's all internal, but you're very aware. Mm. But the anesthetic effect, you basically lose all sensation of your body. So your nervous system basically starts to forget that you have a body. And at higher dose, you actually almost leave your body. So it disconnects your frontal lobe from the rest of your brain. So you completely lose your ego. So you're, you're an, you're a nothing and you're in that space. You're able to process things in a whole nother different level. What that looked like for me. And you don't just go to that space. It's this very controlled stair step approach where we slowly bring you up through your series and we're not just launching people into the stratosphere. (laughs) And so you're really understanding how this is going, but for me, one of the it has a few really amazing superpowers, one of which is emotional unpacking. So as I said, I'm an emotional suppressor. Mm. I don't really allow myself to feel what I have deemed negative emotions, mm-hmm. sadness, rage, shame, anger. And so it brings all of that up to the surface because the only way your nervous system can actually process emotions is for you to fully feel them. That's why PTSD is so hard for people because that basically is a short circuit of your nervous system. Trauma has happened. Your body doesn't know how to respond. So it doesn't allow you to fully feel what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so that gets locked in your nervous system. So now tiny things that shouldn't trigger you that are similar to the initial trauma response now cause your whole nervous system to react as if Mm. that first thing happened to you. 
But that even happens for people who don't don't allow themselves to grieve. Like if you really lost somebody very close to you and you really never allowed yourself to sit in the sadness and anger and disappointment and all those complex emotions, it will just stay there Mm. until you feel it. And so for me, what that looked like is I cried for a week (laughs) every day in between my first and second infusion, just wept. For no specific reason. Just It was just coming. I just had to feel it. And luckily I know enough about, you know, emotions and what is happening in my own body that I knew to expect that or that that wasn't odd. Mm-hmm. And then all kinds of things have come out of it, you know, post. The biggest uh, fundamental shift for me was I've had a pretty evil inner, I call her inner bitch, for most of my life, who talks to me in a very ugly way and has when I was younger, I mean, very horribly. But through therapy and through my personal work, she's gotten kinder, but she's still there, kind of running in the background, da da da, running her mouth. Her name's Kayla. She's a white <laughs> trash stripper. <laughs> Bestie named her. Um, but after ketamine, she went away. For like good. completely gone. And Whoa. it was super weird because I was wow. in my early 40s and I had never lived a day that I could remember without her talking to me. And I had convinced myself that she was my intrinsic motivation. But really she was my unworthiness showing up in my life and getting me to do things. That's why I never felt like enough. Like I had to keep doing stuff and proving things. And I was, you know, I was showing up in ways that, were not really authentic to me, but what I thought I had to do to prove to people that I was good enough. Um, And when she went away, it took me six months, eight months to kind of recalibrate. What was that like? What was my, it felt real weird. It actually felt very disconcerting. And I talk through a lot with kind of our high performer clients about it. Mm -hmm. Because what it feels like is you lose your edge. Because a lot of people with anxiety have convinced themselves that the reason they're successful is because of that voice. You've convinced yourself that if I, th- if I thought I was good enough, I wouldn't show up. You know, And there's a lot of, and I will say a lot of men especially, that operate from that place of high anxiety, high drive, that think that if they're kind to themselves... And if they figure out work-life balance and if they don't hustle and if they don't run themselves into the ground, that they're not good enough and that it'll all fail, you know. And the reality is you made it despite of your anxiety, not because of it, you know, and that there's actually a much healthier place to operate from. But it takes a recalibration and kind of a reprioritization of like what do you really want And what's really important to you. And for me, what that looked like is I was spending a lot of, I'd spent a lot of time partying and being busy and socializing because I didn't want to be alone and I didn't want to sit still. And so it's a lot of my work is sitting still (laughs) and being quiet and allowing myself to be and not do do, 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 and run myself into the ground. Cause I used to just, I used to just do everything until I got sick. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing that and feeling thankful that I got sick 
because it gave me an out. Wow. Uh -huh. And I did that for most of my life. Wow. Yeah. Are people that show up that want to do ketamine, do, do a lot of people show up like afraid? Are they mostly, because I imagine, you know, that feeling of, you know, as you describe, I leave my body, my body dissolves. I imagine a lot of people listening are like, that sounds super freaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think, a, I think almost everybody's scared. I mean, I still get nervous every time I go into a fusion. I think it's very, nor that's very normal, but I get nervous every time i do a psychedelic you should yeah I do you too. need to be respectful of what's about to happen it's mm -hmm. not you need to go in with a real with a plan <laughs> this yeah. is not for the faint of heart you're messing with your i mean you're working through your subconscious and you're working through your trauma like it's you you there should be some nerves there so what's the process like if someone you know they have PTSD, mm -hmm. maybe they feel like they might have trauma underneath or they're dealing with some kind of repetitive habit. Yeah. You know, what's the process of deciding, okay, I think I might want to try this. What is the, what's that process? Yeah. I think the biggest thing before you start doing any, everything is, are you really ready to do the work? Because ketamine is a tool. It's a tool. It's not, it's not going to fix you. But it can be an amazing self-awareness tool that will unlock things so that you can move through stuff much faster than you could. Ketamine isn't going to do any – like you can do everything that ketamine does with therapy, with EMDR, with self-work. You can do it. But ketamine is almost like using a sledgehammer instead of a spoon to get through a brick wall. I mean, you can get through a brick wall with a spoon. <laughs> it can happen, yeah. but it's going to take a long time. Whereas ketamine really just allows you to unlock and observe things that are really hard to observe without it. And so kind of the process is, number one, are you really ready to do the work? Because don't, I mean, you have to actually be committed. This is a long-term process on yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't some short fix. Like you'll come in for a series of infusions over about a month, month and a half. But I say it's a six months to a year process where like it's going to unlock stuff and you need to really commit to about a year. I mean, I think you should commit for the rest of your life to work on yourself. <laughs> but if you want to give chunk it out a little, you know, give yourself six months to a year to really kind of develop but most of our clients are self-referred. That means you don't have to have a referral from a doctor. Most people are looking for some alternative. Like maybe they're on meds and they don't want to be on them. Maybe their doctor is saying you need to go on meds and they don't want to go on them. Maybe they've tried a lot of meds and nothing is working. Maybe they've tried different kind of therapeutic models and, and things aren't working. For most people that start with us, they've tried a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for something else. There are a few people that come in and this is, they've read about psychedelics. They know this is a legal way to do it. And they're like, I'm interested in exploring that. But I would say the majority of our clients, especially people struggling with more severe mental health issues, it's like I've been really struggling for years, if not decades. Nothing's working. And I'm just surviving. Like I'm barely surviving. And I just need something else. And I got to say, you were saying fear. Interestingly, the biggest fear that people have is it's not going to work. That's actually the biggest fear. They're so scared of being let down. Interesting. 
that that I'm going to try something else. Because for many people who have tried everything, everybody says it's just this next thing. Like this, if just you just take this med, this will make you better. Just take you know, and it's it feels really. Uh, the thing about Western mental health, and there is there is plenty of space for it, and I believe medication is needed at times for people. Um, in general, I think people are way over medicated, <laughs> but it's a psych psychiatry in general is pretty disempowering for people because if you go in and somebody says, "Sorry, you don't have the right neurotransmitters," <laughs> <laughs> like. What are you going to do about that? I mean, it really feels like, I mean, it's kind of like them saying your brain is broken here. Take this pill for the rest of your life. Good luck. I mean, and then, and then if the pill doesn't work, then it's your fault. It's like, (laughs) I mean, it feels like so like out of your control. Whereas at Aluma, we just say we're here to create a really safe healing space and give you a tool and you're actually going to heal yourself. And that really changes how people show up. Because it's like you're doing the work. You're actually doing this. The human mind and the human body are so amazingly resilient. And we have to remind people of that. Is like you really are resilient and you have an inner healer and you can get better and your life can dramatically change in a relatively short period of time. But a lot of people have started to lose hope. And so I always say, I need your hope door open like just a crack. Like <laughs> just... That's so good. Just a little so that the light can come in because you you can get better. And we see it. I mean, the stories are endless and will drop you to your knees. What What is the story that comes to mind that always stays with you? Yeah. I mean, I have one that is just unbelievable. I mean, I have a, a thousand that are unbelievable. But Ian... He's very vocal about his his story, so he shared it a lot. And so I know he's comfortable with me talking about him. But he's a veteran. He did two or three tours. He has three kids. And he came back like many people, and he thought he was okay. And And what most people don't get about veterans is it's actually not the war part that's the hard part. It's the coming back that's the hard part because they're so – they had such a tight container overseas. <clears throat> they had people and they had a mission and they had a purpose. And that was really controlled. And then they come back and then they don't have a job and then they don't have their people and then nobody gets them. And then they're kind of thrust back into this world. And then they also have PTSD. So then they, you know, That's intense. are struggling with all kinds of things and they, and what pisses me off more than anything is our government continues to send hundreds of thousands and millions of our kids over there and then doesn't do shit for them when they get back. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the biggest travesty of our government in my eyes that we have tormented millions of kids and then come back and then we don't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. Like not even give them therapy. Mm-mm. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, we don't give them jobs. I mean, it's like, what in the world are you talking about? Talk about a thank you. I mean, crazy. So we, every, every, um, November is veterans awareness month and we give away a series of ketamine. So la- two years ago, we kind of did something on Instagram. And I said, if you have a veteran and you'd like to m- nominate them, nominate somebody. 
And his wife reached out to me and said, my husband really needs help. He just tried to kill himself for the third time. And the last time, this is going to make me emotional, the last time he did it in our house with our three kids at home. And she found him in the bathroom on the floor. And she said he's a really great guy and he's a really great dad, but he doesn't know what to do. And when he came in, he felt broken. He just felt like he couldn't figure out how to, that he was ever going to be okay and that he was ever going to be able to show for his family and live the life that he wanted. You know, within two months, he was a different guy. <laughs> you know, it was like before that, he wanted to go back to school really bad so that he could get his degree so he could get a better job. But he was like, I can't be in a room with the door closed with people. Because his PTSD was so bad, you know. And since then, he went back to school. He graduated. He actually works for the VA as an accountant. His wife, we actually ended up treating his wife. They have this amazing relationship. He got sober. He hasn't had a drink in over a year. He now grows his own mushrooms. He's getting into the psychedelic business. Like he wants to move to Oregon and buy a farm and help wow. other soldiers. I mean, it's really just, you know, and he's connected with his kids. And And the one beautiful thing about stuff like that, especially when you heal parents, is you think about the ripple effect of that. Mm -hmm. What does that do for a family line that you have a present father, that you have a father that didn't die? not only just didn't die, but then is fully present and is able to be a father. Um, and how do you heal those trauma? How, you know, because interestingly, one of the things that Ian told me that I thought was so, so fascinating and studies have now showed this. I said, what's the, what's the biggest like surprise about ketamine? And he said, I thought I was coming here to heal from the war and I was coming here to heal from my childhood. And that's what they found kids that come from trauma that end up in war get PTSD on a much higher level than kids that didn't have trauma when they were little. Um, it's called an ACE score. So it's an adverse childhood event score and it's almost directly tied to PTSD. So the more adverse childhood events that you had as a kid, the more likely it is that you, if you have a large traumatic event as an adult, that you will get, you know, potentially debilitating PTSD. And so it's just, I mean, it's just story after story of that. You know, we had a woman who had been depressed for 30 years and hadn't left her bed for almost 10 years. She was a dentist, had to quit her job. And when she came in, she, uh, she will readily admit she was the biggest bitch ever. She was evil. She was so mean to everybody because she was just so unhappy. Now she brings us cookies she goes out on the boat with her husband. She's lost all this weight. She started doing, you know, like she's, I mean, her husband came in weeping with me saying, you gave me my wife back after 30 years. I thought she was gone. Like people forgot who she was, Wow. you know, and that is like lifetimes. And then kids, you know, we, we work with pediatric younger patients and, you know, we had a 16 year old girl who had such anxiety with high performer at school, but like almost crippling anxiety like would just get herself so worked up into a panic attack, like to take a test. Like she just couldn't. 
and she was with us for about a year and a half and just left to go to college in Canada. And her mom, again, on the phone, weeping with me, saying, I didn't think she was ever going to leave the house because she had anxiety so bad. And now I'm sending her to college. Like, and she's good and she's ready to leave. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that I love it. That's what we get to do. You're the coolest. No, and it's psych- not me. <laughs> but you created a space to do that. And psychedelics, this is why psychedelics are the shit. And this is why more people need to have access. 100%. And that's why, you know, ketamine is, there are some accessibility issues. Cost being the biggest prohibitive one that we're trying to solve right now. But the great news about ketamine is it's fully legal and you're in and out in an hour. There's no other psychedelic that you can do that with. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, you take acid, (laughs) 8 to 12 hour journey plus a little (laughs) And tomorrow you might feel a little woozy still. Do people come for performance? So say you don't have trauma. Is there mm-hmm. reasons where someone's like, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm living life. I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just want to look under the hood or could this improve my life? Just coming from a place of feeling pretty good. Yeah, I would say that's probably about 20% of our clients, maybe a little less, maybe 15. And how's it work for them? Which is like high performers. We get a lot of entrepreneurs that use it really well as a stress management tool. So it's amazing for stress management, especially this COVID, this extended like time of stress. If you're a business owner, praise be to you that <laughs> <laughs> you made it through or if you didn't. And so a lot of things that happen is when our stress rises, our creativity plummets, yeah. which is one of the biggest things. And so especially for people in the creative field or even as an entrepreneur, you need to be thinking <laughs> outside the box. Like you need to be not so in it and worried about everything that you're too laser focused that you can't see big picture. Totally. And so just dropping that background stress, also known as anxiety, if you don't want to call it that, um, will really help with the creativity. It also does what I like to call embodied confidence. So a lot of times, especially, um, people in kind of high functioning are trying to make a lot of decisions. So they almost get like decision fatigue. Like you're having to make so many decisions. You kind of get lost. I'm like, is this really what I want to do? (laughs) Or am I just like in this part where I'm just making the decision? And that's one thing it can really help with is like, it taps you back into yourself so that you're making things from kind of this embodied knowing place that that is the decision you want to make as opposed to just like, is that some influence or am I listening to somebody or, you know, kind of stays you more true on course. And that's something that helped me with, you know, owning the businesses can be very stressful at times. But one of my sessions I went in and it actually pushed the company all the way out. Like it was like 10 years in the future. Cool. And it said, this has already happened. Like you don't need to worry. And then it rewound it. And it just said, it said, so just know just get into flow. Like stop trying to control everything. Get in alignment. This has already happened. You can rest assured. And it was like this, okay. <laughs> I think all of us need that at some point. You know, it's like a reminder. We're like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> it's all good. Just let it go. Stop trying to control it. Yeah. 
So I think that that's also really good. And if you're just interested in exploring your subconscious, it's fascinating. Like it, like I know the part where I said like you're out in the ether and you lose your body seems a little scary, but it also is a little bit like you're on this, like in mine, what happens to me is it feels like I'm on a roller coaster, like a very slow roller coaster and I'm going through like scenes of things and it's kind of showing me stuff in this kind of thematic way it's very fascinating to kind of explore like what's coming up and why is it coming up and kind of allows you to think through things on a different level from that dissociative space you actually can look at things from a third party so think of yourself as the observer of your life as opposed to the actor in your life and imagine what you can see if you were looking at yourself from a different perspective and from that new perspective you can make different decisions and yeah have a lot of realizations that's 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 awesome so if someone wants to come in what's the process they set up a meeting or oh, appointment yeah. Yeah, normally people just reach out, send some online paperwork. Then you have a clinical phone consultation with our nurse. She's going to make sure, you know, this is a good fit for you. You're healthy to move forward. We have two paths now. You can do what's called self-guided, which is what most people do. They're paired with a online ketamine integration coach, so they're going to help them get the most out of the treatment. But you'll come into the session and you'll do the session, not alone. There's a paramedic with you who's observing you, but you're not doing therapy while in session. You set up your coaching or your therapy session, usually later that day or the next day. But we also have something now called ketamine-assisted therapy, CAT, and that's with an actual therapist in the room. So l slightly lower dose, but there's a therapist in the room and you're actually doing processing while you're under ketamine. So that's a really good fit if people have advanced trauma or personality disorder, things they're trying to work through, even spectrum disorder, or they maybe just have high control or are really nervous about kind of wading into the psychedelic space without a tighter container and somebody there the whole time, like a therapist there. And so that's another kind of path that people can take. So that kind of decision is made at that time. We have you sign some consent forms and then you get started. And you can just come in for one session or is it always a series of six? You we don't typically do one session. And the reason we don't do that is ketamine is a bit of an art. Hmm. Like I said, we don't ever throw anybody to the deep end. We start at a relatively low dose that's based on your weight. It's like tipping your toe into the water. So your first infusion is going to be like baby step. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so if you came in and got one, it's going to be like, oh, that's interesting. Most people are still in the room. They still feel their body. Like the, it's not for most people that first infusion is very light. And that's on purpose because we, we want to make sure people feel comfortable and safe. And, and from there, we personalize your dose. So we'll typically increase your dose over your series. And so really most people don't hit their sweet spot till around three or four. And it's also a process. It's this kind of peeling the onion. <laughs> like you'll kind of get some light stuff and then, you know, towards the middle is when kind of heavier stuff comes up. And you want to give yourself enough time to really process everything. Mm -hmm. And when you're committing to something like this, it's important to follow the process and realize that it doesn't go like this. It goes like <laughs> 
kind of goes like this. It's like everything. I mean, people want to think like, totally. oh, I just get better. Just keep <laughs> getting better. No, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. But part of that not, you know, part of how, having the hard stuff in the middle is important. Like mm-hmm. you have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, with what you do, it's the same kind of stuff. It's like everybody gets to a sticky point where it's important for you to work through it as opposed to be like, oh, okay, I'm done now. Yep. Because <laughs> we just give up. So how far apart do the sessions have to be spaced to do them? Typically over about four to six weeks. So kind of standard cadence is you would come in two the first week, two the second week, one the third week, one the fourth week. That really is for people who are really trying to work through something maybe maybe not functioning super high, you know, at a super high level. I always say the higher functioning you are, the more I would spread them out. I think giving yourself more time. Mm-hmm. to process more time to do what we call integration mm-hmm. is is really good it also can bring up a lot of stuff so if you are busy if you have children if you have a job if you run a business you don't need to crack your soul open multiple times a week and think you're going to function you know it's it's heavy lifting yeah. so it's like you need to be mindful So I'm always like, I would always spread them out more than I would scoot them together. So I went once a week for six weeks, and that still felt intense for me. I had a girlfriend that did amazing that she came in once per month for six months. I would not suggest that. I think that is too far apart. But for her, it worked really well. She has a ton of skills. She has a lot of process. She knew exactly what she was doing. So that was her choice. But I would say kind of initially a week to 10 days at the max is kind of what I would say for most people. What's the integration process after? So integration, like I said, you get paired with a ketamine integration coach. So you get four 30-minute sessions with them, and we highly suggest you sign up more to do more with them. Mm -hmm. That's just included in what we do because we know that that is actually where the work is done. Totally. And you can decide to work with a coach or we can suggest a therapist if therapy feels like a better fit for you. If you have a therapist you currently work with, you can continue to work with them. We do suggest while you're going through ketamine that you actually work with somebody that understands ketamine because Although your therapist might understand your background, they might not understand the process of mm-hmm. what this therapy is going to do. So under, be, working with somebody that understands psychedelics and how they work in the brain is, I find, very helpful for people. And if you're going to commit and spend the money, like my big thing is like, do it all. Yeah. <laughs> like just commit to the whole, whole kit and caboodle because you want to get the most out of it. Like yeah. it will – the crazy thing is the drug will work even if you did nothing. It just won't last. Mm-hmm. It will give you symptom relief within a month, mm-hmm. but you will just fall back in your rut mm-hmm. because the real thing is you've created all this new neuro network, not new, but reconnected neuro network. So you're having all this amazing neuroplasticity. So it's a great time to kind of incorporate new patterns and ways of being but you have to actually act into those Mm -hmm. so that they last because we're really great pattern driven animals and we will slippery slide right on back to that rut Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you actually have to practice and you need somebody to help you with like laying out like what are your goals what does that look like day to day that's super good to have accountability yeah 
Yeah. Everybody needs a coach. And that's the thing about psychedelics. <laughs> exactly. With you, everything. They don't they they present the opportunity to create change, but it's everything you do after that to yeah. get this change to stick. We all know plenty of people that do a lot of psychedelics that are still douchebag assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Psychedelics, just because you do a lot of psychedelics, had a lot of experiences, doesn't mean, and doesn't mean I, anything. Yeah, doesn't mean anything. So that's, uh, that's some food for thought right there. Uh, what do you think the future is for ketamine and psychedelics or your hope? Because you traveled to the future 10 years. I did. You know, it is rumor has it that MDMA will likely be online by the end of this year, if not the beginning middle of next year wow i'm pumped and that will be yet again another huge amazing step in this psychedelic movement and then they think psilocybin is probably three to five years it's amazing mdma is going to be sooner than psilocybin it my... started it started sooner so the study started sooner and the reason and this is i'm not kidding if you need yet another reason to hug a veteran Veterans are leading this. If everybody needs to really understand the only reason psychedelics are getting legalized is because of the veteran community. And that is because that is who the government listens to. And we are at a crisis level of PTSD. And that is why MDMA is going to get, and that's why it got fast-tracked, is because, you know, before COVID, the rate was 22 soldiers a minute were killing themselves. Wow. That's before COVID. I'm sure it's higher. I mean, suicidal rates jumped 30% in the last two years. I mean, people are killing themselves at a rate that is like, un and nobody's talking about that, <laughs> which is just mind blowing. The government is actually listening to the armed forces because they need other tools to heal themselves and that is the reason psychedelics will get legalized is because of the push that because because the government can't look at them in the face when they say, I'm having to go to Mexico because y'all won't take care of me. They're calling them out finally, and that they're, they're the reason we're going to get legalization as quickly as we are, which is just amazing. Um, and so, you know, within five years. We're going to have multiple psychedelic tools for people. That's going to be really exciting in a lot of ways. I have some pretty big anxiety about what the industry is going to look like. Yeah. Because if anybody has watched what's happened to cannabis, it's hap It's going to happen. You know, there's already patents. There's millions of patents. You know, pharmaceutical industry has patented every kind of psychedelic psilocybin derivative blah 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 that they're making up and they're going to come in and they're going to make the mcdonald's of psychedelics and they're going to you know it's money's going to come in and it's going to corrupt things and it's you know you hope i hope that we can keep the industry you know, at least as authentic as possible with really having patient healing in mind and trying to keep, it's not like, I don't think money is bad. I think money makes things go round, but I want people to really coddle our industry right now. And I do, that's my, my other fear for our industry in general is psychedelics are real cool now. And I think a lot of people are getting willy nilly 
about using them and being public about it and how they're using them. And, you know, I think everybody needs to have a real strong memory that the government shut it down before and it could do it again. And if you want this to be accessible to people, you need to be real mindful about what you're doing and how you're promoting it. And I think there's a few people, influencers in this space that I think are completely disrespectful to it. And it really pisses me off because it's going to take one famous person dying, you know, that it could shut us all down. And that, that, that concerns me, but I can't control those people, so I'm going to just stay in my lane and, you know, keep trying to stand as an example for what, like, a mindful psychedelic business can look like. I have high hopes. I think the amount of money behind studies and some of these bigger, I think because it's more medical-focused, it has more of a chance. Oh, completely. Yeah, and I I don't think it's going to get completely shut down ever again. I don't think that's a possibility. That's not what I'm saying. I just think... But the opportunity for it to really flourish. the, The Fed could come down on it in a different way and control it a lot more than it is right now, which may or may not be, which in my mind will always be a bad thing. And I appreciate people being able to do underground. And I think, I think consciousness should be legal. I think people should be able to explore their consciousness in whatever way they want. I think it's completely ridiculous that the government thinks (laughs) that we can prescribe opioids like they're going out of business but god forbid you take a mushroom i mean it's like i know it's fucking ridiculous it's or hilarious get people on xanax <laughs> yeah or whatever yeah every benzo known demand just pass it out like it's candy but please don't take mdma at a party <laughs> or a mushroom <laughs> yeah. a plant please don't take a plant i, I mean it's just it's lunacy but our government is crazy well I'm very grateful for you doing what you do and starting what you've started and sharing everything. I know a lot of listeners and a lot of clients will find a lot of value in this. And so I'm very grateful. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. How do do we connect with you? Pimp yourself out. I'm on the internets. (laughs) Interwebs. Internets. Um, You can find Aluma at Aluma Clinic. So Aluma is I-L-L-U-M-M-A. Um, on Instagram, it's Aluma Clinic. I think it's that same thing on Facebook. I'm Allie Waddell on all platforms everywhere except TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. TikTok's actually the best. I actually, I'm afraid to get on TikTok because I think I would like it a lot. <laughs> I've been exploring the last two weeks, just like letting myself get sucked into it. And it's the most... Is it fun? It's it's the thing where you can say the thing you want to say the most openly. So anything we talk about that I would be worried about getting banned on YouTube or Instagram, TikTok will let it happen. TikTok it. TikTok it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, Allie. Thank Hashtag. Hashtag <laughs> TikTok it. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Another fun episode. Allie, I'm really grateful for you sharing so openly and just bringing all of your wisdom and your rawness to the podcast. It was so great. So go check out Aluma. You can check it out, aluma.com. Links all in the description. Hope you guys love this episode. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or have somebody you know that would be great on the podcast, 
please don't hesitate to DM me at Bodies by Brent ATX on Instagram and follow me, Body by Brent, on TikTok. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Bodies by Brent. Brent has been a personal trainer for 16 years, and he's going to be here to help you get the body and health you've always wanted. Thanks for checking out the show, and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you have an idea or topic for the show, maybe you want to be on the show, and you're interested in working with Brent, visit our Instagram at bodiesbybrentatx. See you next time on Bodies by Brent. Brent.